0: I mean, from yeah. what I understand, the best interviewers, you know, you've got your, your questions that you want to ask, but you listen. Yeah. You
1: know, and that's. Yeah. Anyway, who, go ahead. Uh, speaking of that, like who would you say, like who's an interviewer you see today that you're like, oh, they did really good. Like a Larry King, like somebody You know what, it's
0: funny. My husband loves Howard Stern. Oh, okay. And I'm old enough to remember when he was a shock jock in New York, okay? Because that's where I grew up and that's what I listened to. Uh, I didn't necessarily listen to him. That was not my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can appreciate the interviews that he does because you can tell his enthusiasm for the subject, you can tell the questions that he asks um, are designed to generate interest and to get his subject talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that he talks about I'm really not interested in. He always likes to go off on their sex lives and things like that. And it's like, eh, I can live without that. But yeah. the people I've heard him interview, you know, generally um, actors, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. seeking it out, but, you know, if I happen to hear it on, uh, on serious Radio, um, I think that he's got a really interesting style mm-hmm. um and he really you know pulls a lot out of his uh subjects and I think that's interesting I don't yeah. listen to a lot of interviews um I in fact I only recently started listening to podcasts because I only recently st- got a pair of earbuds that work for me <laughs> and so now when I walk the dogs I can listen to podcasts
1: do you got the, like, the Bluetooth earbuds? Yes. Yeah.
0: This was a um, a, a <laughs> pair that my son got off of a Kickstart um, project, and um, oh, wow. he forgot about them, and then, of course, years later, they popped up and said, oh, hey, you know, we produced them, and they're great. The only the yeah. only problem I have is that I, I didn't realize, for instance, yesterday I had taken them out of my ears. My husband called me, and I couldn't hear him, and I kept saying, I can't hear you. And it was because my earbuds were still <laughs> active, and they were picking up the conversation yeah. but yeah. i'm i'm getting used to that um it's just cool
1: they no ear like the bluetooth earbuds changed the game for me oh yeah i i can multitask take a phone call while i'm like preparing food you know i i can now when i go out on a run i don't have to worry about the wires oh, getting yeah. in the way it's, it's i don't know why i didn't get them sooner i
0: well, you know, I think my, my problem was that it was, you know, this kind of technology that, you know, I, I'm used to the, you know, the headphones with a cord. Yeah. And they get in the way. I, yeah. I teach Zumba.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Which is a lot of fun. Uh, and, but when I'm trying to, say, choreograph something, and I was doing it, I, you know, in the past with my, you know, headphones on, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're waving your arms. You're, yeah. You know, it, it's very difficult to do. And now, of course, the freedom of, of Bluetooth, it's terrific. I'm very um, yeah.
1: impressed. I, I would hate that too when my arms would flail when I would run and then I would catch my cord yeah. and then it would disconnect. And now all of a sudden I have to like reset. Yes. And I- I almost feel like I have to just restart the run well, at that point. <laughs> well, just...
0: yeah. I mean, in fact, when I'm dancing, I, I have to restart the the, uh, the dance to, to choreograph it. So anyway, that's uh, I'm very <laughs> pleased. I don't know whether they ever mass produced these. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're terrific. They come in this tiny little um, circular uh, box that, you, you know, plug them in, and then you yeah. plug the cord in, and it's great. It's, um, anyway... Big, big ad, and I, I can't even tell you the name of the company that produces them, but I really enjoy them.
1: I know. It's funny. This first uh, couple of minutes has just been one big advertisement for- For that, earbuds, for yeah. earbuds. Buy them today. <laughs> Buy them today. <laughs> no, I, I, I use them every day. It's amazing. Um, anyway, we are, yeah, we, we're, we're rolling. Um, <laughs> okay. I, just a, really quick, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Chris. This is Cheatash. And today I have a very special guest, author of The Book of Hannah, A Tragic Comedy in Three Trimasters, Ellen Gellerman.
0: Gellerman uh, with a hard
1: G. Gellerman. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's, if, my, if my name were spelled with two L's, you would say Gellerman, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gellerman. Yeah. What what is the origin of that name?
0: Um, it is, oh gosh, let me get let me get this right. I think it is of Polish origin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, my husband's family came from that part of Eastern Europe where the borders moved a lot. Okay. So you yep. know Poland, Lithuania, that area, um, and it is just to our detriment that when he came over, he spelled it with one L and, uh, it has been the source of misspellings ever since.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. He, so he actually came he was born in Poland? My he husband's with... grandparents. Okay.
0: His, his grandfather and his grandmother. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, well, most of us, my grandfather was from Belarus and, um, you know, if you want to go back the generation oh, wow. before that, we're all from Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. We don't, Uh, We didn't, we didn't come over on the Mayflower. We have, our origins are are pretty much, you know, late um, 19th century, you know, immigrants. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: That's where my parents are, Eastern European. Um, They came here. Uh, My dad, uh, uh, my dad was pretty young, uh, less than 10, eight years old, I think. And then my mom came over a little bit after that. Uh, She was in her teens. Yeah,
0: where'd they come from? Yeah, uh,
1: Yugoslavia. Yeah, which is not Was a it, thing which anymore. Is an old,
0: yeah, right. So, it, did they come during that upheaval? Is that you know were they refugees? I,
1: I don't think so. I I don't think so, and I should know the should complete know. story.
0: There's a story there. You really, oh yeah. you really need to know that. Yeah,
1: I I do. Um, I've been trying to be better with my family's history, um, I gotta, I know, I need to ask more questions in regards to that.
0: Well, there you but. go. Sit them down with the, with the microphones, because yeah. <laughs> let me tell you something, once they're gone, it is so much harder mm-hmm. to go back and try to figure things out. So I started asking questions when I was in my twenties of my great uncle who was born in Belarus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got some really cool information from him at the time. You know, um, they were peasants. I, I was oh, wow. trying to teach myself Russian. I was very proud of myself. I said, "Hey, I'm I'm trying to teach myself Russian. I can. I know the word for refrigerator in Russian." And he said, "Well, I don't. We didn't have one." Wow. I mean, I, you forget the yeah. time. Um, so. You know, once he passed, and, and he he was the last one in the family,
2: mm-hmm.
0: then that aspect that that path was closed. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know when you have a family that is you know probably much entirely made of um, either farmers or uh, mm-hmm. you know tradespeople, you don't have records. Yeah, you know, going back past that. And yeah. it becomes much harder. So my advice to you, if <laughs> I may, is to get the relatives who are still around, get them talking. They love, unless there was a trauma there, which is a problem, of course, mm-hmm. but they love talking about, you know, where they come from and their relatives and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and whatever they remember because one of these days, you're going to wish you had asked those questions. yeah. I know I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, by the time that I was thought to ask them when I was mature enough to, you know, be interested in it, everybody was gone. But oh, now, wow. you know, I have my my mom is the last remaining person in the family I can ask these questions of. And mm-hmm. and then memory becomes foggy. Yeah. And, you know, so ask them now
1: before it's. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. That would be a cool podcast now. Yes, it I, would. Thank you for giving me that.
0: Idea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get them talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Ellen, thank you very much again for sitting down with me. I'm delighted. Um, I really appreciate it. We're going to get into your book, The Book of Hannah. Uh, before I do, though, I wanted to ask you, cause, and I wish it's funny because we were talking before we started this. Yes. And you were talking about your experience writing. Uh, a previous book that uh, didn't end up getting published. I was wondering if you could share, again, the backstory on that book, because I find that topic super interesting, okay. the political thriller.
0: Yes, it was a political thriller. Um, it was called The People's Republic of America. Mm-hmm. And the premise is that uh, this veterinarian and this disgraced journalist— Meet up, and they have become convinced that the um, Chinese are waging a quiet background war against the United States via the availability of cheap goods that they have tainted in certain ways uh, to to weaken the country and playing a long game, um, as they are known to do at mm-hmm. uh, the government. I'm referring to, of course. Um, And, uh, of course, it's very hard to get anybody to believe you um, when you think you've found something and these two, you know, find each other and, um, you know, go about trying to prove what they've discovered. Mm -hmm. Um, As I've said, you know, it was was something that I wrote, oh, I don't even remember, um, 10 years ago maybe uh, or maybe a little more recent than that. um, Wrote it, shopped it around, didn't find any interest in it, and then I moved on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as I was saying, that political thriller is not my genre. And um, the point of that is that if you haven't read a lot of a particular genre, it becomes difficult to plot it with the energy that is required for that particular genre. Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, so... You know, I, I'm sure that had I brought it to an editor uh, who specialized in that genre, they could have said to me, here's where you need to pick up the pace. Here's where something big has to happen. You know, here's where, you know, the the, the characters finally resolve the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have that. I never got to that point. Uh, I could have at that time spent some money and had it looked at. But then I, again, acknowledged that it wasn't really my genre. It was an interesting story based on something that actually took place, Mm -hmm. um, and I extrapolated. Um, And if I want to just go back real quick about what that story was. Oh, yeah. That was, you know, about uh, 10 years ago. There was a period of time when uh, dogs were getting sick and dying um, from unknown causes, and it was determined that there were these Uh, treats, these jerky treats that were made in China, uh, available at places like Costco. Um, And that was what people were deciding was making these dogs ill. And at the time, my dog was losing fur, and I had brought him to the vet. And when I brought the situation up to the vet, and I said, hey, I've actually heard that maybe this was the case. um, That was at that time, I said, you know, Maybe there's something here. And I mentioned it to yeah. my dog sitter. And my dog sitter said, they're trying to kill us all. And that was the impetus. And I said, you know, that would make a really interesting book. You know, how they're bringing these products in. They're making them cheap so, you know, Americans flock to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but secretly they're just, you know, making them so that we get uh, addicted to the pricing And maybe to the product themselves, and then um, slowly but surely wear away at our defenses.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I just was watching a a YouTube video recently about TikTok and how that came about. If are you familiar with that? Uh, Yeah,
0: yes, and and I'm aware that it's um, a lot of people say that it's you know it's because it's a Chinese product, and you know Mm -hmm. they're weaponizing it, and you know, and I'm not familiar enough with. TikTok, I mean, I see, I like to watch dog videos, you know, and that's, you know, oh. so I'll see the occasional dog <laughs> video on TikTok, but, Lots um, of dog videos. but, you know, but yes, but there are, there are ways, uh, you know, the whole point, and if you read, um, The Art of War, mm-hmm. you know, it's I've all about, yeah. you know, conquering your enemy, you know, ways to conquer your enemy without actual battle, mm-hmm. you know, and this was, I refer a bit to The Art of War in that book as well, so, um, you know, maybe someday, i will yeah. bring it out back around and you know show it to an appropriate editor and and make it so that it's uh you know more marketable but
1: yeah i, I speaking of art of war i used to work and another thing we were talking about before we started recording uh how i went to michigan um and you went to indiana so we got big, yeah. big, Ten, big 10 representation yeah. <laughs> representation here uh, i worked for our football team also for a year And they have, at least at the time, I don't know if they still have it now. They had a big mural in their weight room and they had a Sun Tzu quote on it. Um, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something like successful warriors prepare, then go to battle and then failed warriors go to battle and then try to prepare. Something like that. I'm totally butchering it, but yeah, no, that's a very, I should, I should do that. Yeah, there
0: but. are a lot of good snippets about that. I should bring, mm-hmm. I I had actually um, prepared some promotional materials for it. I'll have to show you at another time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used some quotes from, from oh, wow. Sun Tzu. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that was that particular yeah. work that I, uh, that I worked on. Um, and I, and I write because I love to write. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't trying to make any sort of political point. um, Not then. I mean, there are certain political things in my writing, um, and I can be pretty pointed about it. But that particular book was just, um, when there's a story that I want to tell, Mm -hmm. I'll tell the story, regardless of the genre. We discussed that before we came on on air yeah Um, how i wrote this political thriller and before that i had written a regency romance and then the book of hannah is what you might want to call women's fiction or chick lit um although i have had men who have read it and enjoyed it Mm -hmm. um and then the latest book that i've written may very well be categorized as ya young adult literature um still waiting to hear about that Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's about the story not so much about the genre
1: yeah. Yeah. In this book, Book of Hannah, when did, did this come out recently, right? Within the past it couple It came years. out 2019. Okay. Um,
0: and I was in the process of promoting it when the pandemic hit. Oh. And in fact, I was supposed to do a reading at Barnes and Noble um, oh, wow. in, where is it? Livonia? Um, oh, the, yeah. The closest one. And yep. um, they had posters and everything. I was so excited. It was supposed to be for Mother's Day, which is, as you would realize having read the book was appropriate and then the pandemic hit and everything got shut down. So the promotion for this book didn't happen, um, because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've largely, you know, moved on, you know, writing another book and and I'm going to be eventually publishing and promoting that one. Uh, I'm still happy to be talking about the book of Hannah because I enjoyed writing it and I really believe in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's you know it has been a few years.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, and what was what was the spark for this book? Like, was there? S- something yeah, there that was. App- yeah, and it's
0: always it's the first question most people ask. Yeah, and it has an answer, and it's very it's amusing to me, and that is that I was sitting up in bed one night reading. I'm currently sixty two years old, so when I wrote the book, I was, I guess, um, I published it when I was 59, so I was 58 when I wrote it, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was sitting up in bed reading, and I was looking at my little belly, and I said, well, you know, I may have a couple more pounds on me than I'd like, but at least I'm not pregnant, ha, ha, ha. And then I thought, well, you know, what would happen if a woman my age or close to my age got pregnant, And, and what would happen if maybe she didn't expect it because she'd been infertile her whole life, and Maybe it was a dream of hers, but not of the rest of her family and what would happen. And I really loved the idea of exploring, um, what would happen to a person, um, who got into this situation, Mm -hmm. you know, was it a miracle? Was it just a fluke of nature? Was it, um, you know, any number of things and, um, so I, I ran with it, and it actually ironically took me nine months to write. And then I published it through an independent publisher, and, um, mm-hmm. and here we are. Wow.
1: Well, wow. is nine months, is that like typical for an author? Or is There's that... no typical.
0: <laughs> no, they're really. seriously. I mean, yeah. you can have if you're writing a, uh, a piece of historical fiction, it may take you years to research. Um if you're writing something something like this i mean the the research that I needed to do to write the Book of Hannah had to do with um infertility and the um processes that women have to go through if they you know want to have children and can't and I was very fortunate and you know to the detriment of unfortunately my friends, I was very fortunate that I had a couple of friends who had gone through these processes. Um, you know, 20 plus years ago when the events would have happened for the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Things are different now. If I had to write about infertility now, I would have to approach doctors and say, what are the current treatments? But again, this, you know, the, this woman went through infertility, you know, um, 20-plus years prior, and so I spoke to some of my friends who had gone through that, and they gave me that that background that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, the amount of research wasn't as great for this book. Now, the one I'm currently writing, um, I've had to do some research. I've read a couple of scholarly books, which are, you know, harder to get through, and, um, you know, um, and, and I've Picked my way through it. I didn't have to read the whole thing, but I've you know I've watched some um, um, conversations with the authors of these things, and um, and I've had conversations with experts in the field, and and just gotten you know th- so a lot of research has to happen depending on the story. Yeah, you know, again, if it's if it's something that's happening happening now, and it's just a a story about people and their relationships, then there's less research involved. Uh, As far as writing, how fast does it, you know, how long does it take to write a book? It varies if you're the kind of person who sits down and says, I'm going to write for eight hours a day, you know, and just churn it out. Um, I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who has to wait for inspiration to strike. But when I wrote the book of Hannah, I was writing pretty much every day. I'd sit down in this particular chair in my house and I would, I would write Um, and it just flowed this book in particular, more so than pretty much anything else I've ever written was just, just flowed.
2: Uh huh. Yeah.
0: I don't, um, have an outline and that is unusual for authors as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm finishing. I know the arc. Um, I know where the big hits are. And then I just sit down and write it. Um, And again, is it the best way to write? I can't speak to that. I mean, I went to college for English, you know, (laughs) and we did, we wrote, you know, um, but we never wrote novel length works. Mm -hmm. It's just what works for me. Yeah, uh, And if somebody said to me, I want you to stop and outline this before you write your book, I'd say, no, thank you. <laughs> I just have to do it the way I do it.
1: Uh, no, I'm I'm the same way. I like going off script and not like uh, being tied to like a certain way of doing things. Um, I find with what you were saying with the, the way you write a book, that's kind of how I approach if I'm working so like my my day job is i'm a software engineer and i've tried to code and like do side projects build apps and stuff and i find i don't push myself to do like okay every day i have to do two hours of coding right it's just hey do i have the energy right now okay yeah let's log in and we'll put in some work but if i'm super tired uh just not into it, I don't push myself to do it. Cause I feel like then I'm not going to do my best work into what you were saying. Right. It's not going to just flow. Right. Now yeah. I
0: find that that's, um, you know, I have read authors, popular authors who have said, this is a job like anything else. You go to your job, you sit down at your job and you work, you know, your eight-hour day or whatever it is, your Mm -hmm. job. Uh, Other people say, you know, uh, and this is true sometimes for me too, do a word dump. (laughs) If you're not feeling inspired, sit down and write. And there might not be anything good in it, but you're out there writing. Um, And for me, that only works when I'm really stuck. Uh, Otherwise, I know what I have to say, and I will say it in good time when I'm ready to say it. you know the book of Hannah in particular, as I said, that just flowed. I mean, and and what I ended up with at the end, I was I actually surprised myself in certain situations because there are connections. You've read the book. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but there were mm-hmm. certain things that I brought up um, toward the end of the book that I mentioned earlier in the book, and I hadn't planned it. I, it, it's kind of hard to describe without spoilers, mm-hmm. but um well, even the name Hannah, for example, okay, when yeah. I started writing the book, Hannah had a different name oh okay uh, names are very, very important um, at least to me and i and I think to a lot of writers, what you name your character is very significant. And I was looking, I think I called her Amanda at the beginning. and just had to have a name, a placeholder. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just put X. I have a whole manuscript at, <laughs> you know, at first draft where everybody is named X or Y or Z uh, because the names are so important. And um, I eventually said, you know, and actually I named her Hannah because of a, a throwaway joke I make early in the book with her doctor. Um, And it was a throwaway, and I said, I want to make this throwaway joke, therefore I'm going to name her Hannah. Now, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that would have, it might not have stuck, except that I remembered um, the story of Hannah from the Old Testament, which I do bring up in the book.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, now, this is a story... Nehemiah, was it, or...? The... Uh, in the Bible, in, yeah, Hannah? the
0: right Hannah's the mother of Samuel.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: this, and she was oh, infertile, right? Yeah. And she yeah. went for years suffering with infertility, and then she was finally blessed. Mm. And I thought there must have been something going on in the back of my mind that I remembered this story, and I do know this story because this is a story that my synagogue went over every single year during the High Holy Days, and so it's kind of ingrained in me, you know, the story of Hannah and her, um, and her infertility, and it must have stuck in there somehow, but then when I named her Hannah, and then I came back across this, I said, yes, this is the name that this woman must have, um, because it ties very nicely back into this Old Testament story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are wow. a couple of other things that happen in the book, and I can tell you, off. <laughs> you know, offline. No spoilers. Uh, no spoilers yeah. about that. Where, where a, um, where something happened like that, where I gave a name and I said, oh, wow, that works really neatly with this at the end. Um, so yeah, names are, are super important, um, mm-hmm. in the process. And, um, I will often change names, um, you know, for no other reason than, for instance, I named a character in my most recent manuscript and, um, I was falling asleep and, um, and I, I felt like this character had just sort of come to me and said, that is not my name. My name is Reagan. And like, okay, your name <laughs> is Reagan. I will change that in the morning when I get up. Um, and that's just the way things work for me. It's a, it's a kind of loopy process. Um, I mm-hmm. don't think it's traditional for all writers, but I think every writer's got their own, their own process, and what works yeah. for some may not work for others. And this is just the way I work.
1: Yeah no i I totally get that y- you, you know speaking of names, Hannah's daughter in the book, uh Natasha, yes, who's uh Russian, yes, right, yes, now was that just based on like what you were talking about earlier with just your family's Eastern European background?
0: No, actually, that came from back when my children were younger, I knew people who had adopted from Russia, oh okay. And they told me things at the time about the adoption process in Russia and how children suffered. That was actually a piece of the research I did do um, Mm -hmm. for this book. I remember there was a scholarly paper about the effects of early deprivations at these orphanages um, on the uh, development of the adults. Mm. Um, So I wanted her daughter, her adopted daughter to be someone who had suffered some deprivations. Now, there are other deprivations that I didn't talk about. Fetal alcohol syndrome is a big one. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's a, that, that's, that has a lot of influence on a lot of these um, adoptees. Um, uh, again, I'm speaking 20, 30 years ago. I, I, I really can't speak to what's happening now, but I have, mm-hmm. and also anecdotally, because I have had more than one friend of mine who has gone through this adoption process uh, in Russia and found issues later on as the children developed. Oh, wow. Um, Again, uh, this is strictly based on anecdotal Mm -hmm. uh, evidence and and also this one scholarly paper that I I tried to (laughs) make my way through uh, during the research. Um, But I wanted her to be somebody who... um, Had come out of a situation that wasn't ideal, um, and found a loving family, but always in the back of her mind is like, "Was I enough?" Uh And 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 Hannah, in the back of her mind, saying, "Was I a good mother? Did I do right by her?" You know, we have this kind of, at the beginning of the book, at least, this kind of touchy relationship where um, you know there's this anger. Um, and why is this anger? And the anger is very deep seated, and, and part of it is, as you know, Hanna's fault for some cluelessness that she had during Natasha's childhood, mm-hmm. and partly Natasha's—I won't say fault, but um, partly on her side, based on um, the deprivations that she went through um, in this, you know, Russian orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's not based on my Eastern European background that was based on just um the way I needed the character to react okay um to certain situations and okay. and I think that becomes obvious you know later on in the book, certain events which again I won't spoil, but you know um conversations that she and Hannah have
1: yeah 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 now i I'd like the Kind of the, the medical terminology that gets used in the book, mm-hmm. I, I really yes. enjoyed that. I feel like it's it's rooted in s- stuff that we experience like every day with pregnancies and going through that whole process. And the way you developed the, the OBGYN doctors, yes. um, Dr. A and the other one escapes me right now. Um I thought that was very interesting, like it's
0: well, you know again, as a woman, and this is why you know there are many aspects of the book that may not appeal to male readers, um but women relate to this, mm-hmm. all the tests, all the the rooms that are always too cold and <laughs> and the lights that are always too bright as they start out you know the first page of the book um mm-hmm. women relate to that um dr. A in particular um. I modeled her physically after somebody that I know. Mm. Um, I wanted her to be very sympathetic. I love her. Uh, I wanted Hannah to love her. I wanted her, you know, so she is the voice of um, reason mm-hmm. and practicality. Um, and, um, you know, it, she's she gives emotional support. You know, she's a wonderful character in contrast to the other doctor. Mm-hmm. Um uh, dr. felcher oh, yeah. um, you know who is a, a also a type, and I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, but <laughs> a, a type uh, that I'm familiar with you know mm-hmm. and again this is this book is also about you know in in addition about the struggle with infertility and mother daughter relationships, it's also about um, you know fame and wanting fame, yeah. and what happens. You know, people people kind of blindly say, "Oh, I'd love to be famous." You know, and I was a kid. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a, a famous, you know, songwriter. Or, you know, whatever. I, you know, you have these dreams, and 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 fame is not always what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And you know, it's as the book progresses. And again, it's a minor kind of fame. She's not a a Hollywood star, but she is a local celebrity. And you know, the way things. Turn out, you know, sometimes isn't what you'd expect mm-hmm. uh, or what you'd want. Uh, so it is about the double-edged sword of fame as well as motherhood, and um, you know what goes along with that.
1: Yeah, I I remember a, a Dave Chappelle quote. If uh, if you're familiar with Dave Chappelle, I am familiar with Dave Chappelle. <laughs> he he said in an interview once, uh, "You can become." Once you're famous, you can become infamous, but you can't become unfamous. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think about that with... There's still some people who they had like their day in the limelight, like their 15 minutes, but we still talk about them.
0: It's and, so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. When you said that, it just... Do you remember Joey Buttafuoco? I don't know. This might be too before your time. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Okay. I grew up on Long Island, <laughs> and there was this this story that broke about this guy who was having an affair with this young, young woman and the young woman shot this guy's wife in a fit of oh, jealousy wow. and they made such a big deal. This this guy was in the town that I lived in and mm-hmm. um, it's Amy, oh, I forget the woman's name. I don't want to mm-hmm. get it wrong. <laughs> um, but this guy, Joey Buttafuoco, he was, you know, he owned this auto repair store in my town and, and um, but, but my God, it became a national story, uh-huh. and they made a you know a, a mini series or something out of it, you know, and and it became this big thing. Now you're too young to remember this, okay, <laughs> clearly because you're blanking on it. But anybody who is older than say I don't know 35 will have heard of this guy and yeah and so you know he's off living his life and you know presumably the young woman is out of prison and living her life and and all these things she was unsuccessful by the way shooting the the wife she oh, did wow. she did not kill her fortunately wow. um but the you know but you're right i mean so we i'm still remembering that that's the first thing that popped into my mind it happened you know Probably thirty years ago, and and um, you know people of a certain age will remember that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you talk about well, Tonya Harding. Uh, again, this is probably before your time. Oh, I'm f- it, the, the figure skating. And, right, right. Yeah. So they made a uh, you know biopic or a docudrama or whatever yeah. about that story. Uh, yep. And that was again a kind of it was a, she was a celebrity in the figure skating community, but people would not remember her so much anymore if not for that. You know, event. So yeah. I agree with you at that statement. Um, I mean, there are certain, you know, you do occasionally find, uh, you know, an obituary of, you know, somebody who was, oh, he was, uh, you know, a child star back in the 80s or something. And people say, yeah, the name was sort of familiar. I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> but yes, um, there is no escaping it. Once your name is out there, there is kind of no escaping mm-hmm. um, the fame. Mm-hmm. And for better or for worse, if you wanted that kind of thing, uh, well, now you've got it. Mm-hmm. You know, and in this case, you know, Hannah did hadn't thought about it really, but you know, she kind of liked the idea of being famous, and um, she liked the adulation. It brought her some some warmth and attention that she wanted. Um, but again, I won't go you know, any deeper into that. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I I do. That was a very interesting part of the book, seeing how that at in the beginning, Hannah was very open to it. When, you know, her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend come up to her with this idea, but in, as the story goes on, Hannah all of a sudden is kind of apprehensive, like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into here? And people are, hopefully this doesn't spoil anything, but people are giving her things and all of a sudden she's, there's a, you know, she's being filmed and... Like, oh, wow. I, like, this is... It's kind of like, this isn't what I signed up right. for. Right, well, yes, you
0: don't really know that, do you? When you, you know, when you want to become famous for mm-hmm. what it's worth. You know, you you take the good and the bad. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and she finds that out. And, um, you know, and for what it's worth, I mean, she... Enjoys it while it lasts, and, and what's interesting is that you bring up you know the, the gifts and um, not to go too deeply into that, but there mm-hmm. was, in earlier drafts, she had a different reaction to that, and we can talk about it wow. at another time. I don't again want to give that away, but my editor mm-hmm. was adamant that that not be the reaction. Um, and I fought her on it. Yeah. Uh, I did butt heads with this editor uh, quite a bit. Um, and then after the fact, after all was said and done, I said, you know what, it, it turned out better for, for the edits that she made. The, you know, and, and another interesting point about that process is that um, the people in this book were a lot nastier to each other in the first draft, the first okay. few drafts. And it wasn't until the editor got a hold of it and she said, you know, she doesn't get along with her daughter. She doesn't get along with her husband. She doesn't get along with her mother. Why would you want to spend time with these people? And it hit me really hard. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I said, yeah, maybe she has something here. You know, maybe I should listen to her. And so that was really important for me as as a, you know, first time published author to Learn, you know, it's not only about, you know, you're telling this story and this is the picture you have in your head, but the characters, they've, they're deeper than the surface. They've got these inner lives that we have to reveal to the reader. And um, I need to dig a little deeper into these people's inner, inner lives and, and find out what these relationships were really about. Mm-hmm. And they became much more sympathetic. The relationships were more sympathetic. The characters became more sympathetic. And I think as a result,
1: the book is a better book. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, that that's, that's very cool. I couldn't help but think Hannah's whole experience with uh, the fame reminded me so much of just social media in today's world oh yeah um people who all of a sudden gain this huge following for posting like a couple videos not necessarily that they invented something new, some feat of engineering, but it's yeah I don't know it's just like a really quick like couple second video and all of a sudden you're posted everywhere.
0: Right, and then there's the people who become famous for being famous, and this is, you know, again, you know, this whole, uh, for instance, this whole Kardashian phenomenon, and I I have not watched a single show, okay? (laughs) I I am speaking of it without ever having, I have zero interest in Mm -hmm. these people, zero background, but these people have become billionaires essentially for being famous, and why are they famous? Yeah. They're famous for being famous. It's it's this circle that just goes around. There's no, they have nothing to offer society, mm-hmm. and in some respects, they have you know pulled us back a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> um, but again, not knowing them, I'm not going to you know pass judgment on the people who enjoy that kind of entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. But that that is a thing with social media. Now I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, oh, okay, I don't. I I'm not on TikTok, and I'm I I. I dipped my toe into Instagram when I first published the book, but um, mm-hmm. I don't have uh, any content to offer, so I'm not, you know, at the, at the time now that I'm in between uh, books, I'm I'm not on Instagram as much. Um, mm-hmm. But Twitter, I'm on Twitter an awful lot. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen mm-hmm. in real time. I've seen this young, this young activist, for example, get uh, ranked on by a member of Congress, and she stood up to him, and all of a sudden, this young woman is just... Boom, she became this um, very well known activist, um, you know, and all of a sudden she 's got hundreds of thousands of followers and um, yeah. happened virtually overnight yeah uh, and that that happens you know
1: yeah um, do you it, think, it, uh, do you think people handle that well, or like some people can 't I handle think some people well.
0: do, and some people don 't yeah. and and also, I have seen that some people who handle it well at the beginning, sometimes it begins to wear on them and and, and things turn. And then the public turns on a dime. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it happens, I mean, it's been happening, you know, for as long as people have been communicating yeah. that you are everybody's favorite until you're not. Yeah. I mean, look at J.K. Rowling.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so
0: J.K. Rowling... Everybody's favorite author for a good decade, and everybody loved her. Nothing but wonderful things to say, and she made her billions and all this other stuff. And then she said a few things that, um, you know, were anti trans, and um, now all of a sudden that's what she's famous for, yeah. And um, so a large portion of her, of her following. Uh, became very hurt and now are anti-J.K. Rowling. So it is a double-edged sword, as I like to say. It's, you know, you like to be famous, you like to earn the money, uh, but then you have a platform and people expect certain things from you on your platform. Mm -hmm. And if you don't meet their expectations, it can go very badly. Now, I don't know how it affects her personally. I mean, Lord knows she could stay home and never say another word and (laughs) never write another word and live perfectly happy, happily with her billions. And, um, you know, and and that's great. And she has her legacy, you know, of these books and the movies and the theme parks and the merch and everything else that she has. Um, But now there's this segment of the population that will always think of her differently.
1: Wow, yeah. I remember another example. I remember this not that I followed this too closely, but Adele lost a lot of weight. Yeah. And all of a sudden people got a little upset at her kind of losing weight. And I thought like, oh my gosh, like shouldn't we be happy for Adele? Um, I don't really listen to Adele's music, but like I appreciate that she's yeah. out there. That's, that's the first thing that would come to my mind is like, oh my gosh, she's taken steps to you know feel better she right. made she's, a change she's
0: done what she's done is she's done for herself mm-hmm. and whether you know it, it's, it pleases the general populace is really shouldn't be the issue but it becomes the issue and mm-hmm. that's why yes that's why the social social media world is like you know years ago it might not yeah. have it, it might not have mattered you might have seen her on um on tv and said oh wow she lost a lot of weight Mm-hmm. You know, oh, she looks good, or or you know, or maybe she doesn't. You know, maybe she she okay. She lost so much weight, and you know, yeah. But now everybody's hanging on every single word, and everything is about clicks, and everything is about views, and everything is about followers, and um, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. So that is you know, and and that's sort of addressed. Um, and actually, I'm in a situation now where I I've written most of a sequel to the book of Hannah. Oh wow. Okay. Um there's about 50,000 words of the sequel that's already written. Um, wow. and, and then I stepped away from it because I said, okay, I told the story I wanted to tell. Um, and I wrote the sequel because I have a number of people who read the book and said, oh, what happens next? Yeah. And I said, I was wondering okay, that. I can do that. Yeah. And I did. And I the sequel is, is written. Uh, it needs to be... Beefed up, um, Mm -hmm. and and having written, but I said this other this other story that I wanted to write caught my attention. I stepped away from Hannah, and then I wrote this other story. And now I think I might come back to it because it goes even further into this whole situation about what happens um, in social you know social media. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it focuses on Natasha in, in the in the sequel. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And that's all I'm going to say about the sequel. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I probably now that the other book is you know in the editing process, I probably will come back to uh, the sequel and um, and see where I go with that.
1: Okay. Oh, but yes, cool. it does.
0: It does further address you know the the situation that social media can cause.
1: Mm-hmm. I I that's such a fascinating topic. Um, I'm sure you might've heard of this documentary. I think it came out last year on Netflix. Um, it's not called your undivided attention. It's something that uh, Tristan Harris, I remember was the producer and I remember, God, the name escapes me, but it went into this whole deep dive into Facebook algorithms this attention seeking just yeah. keeping you trying to keep you on the page and not not having you stray away they kind of want you to keep clicking on things just to keep you on the page where there's advertisements and such oh, gosh, and yeah. it's super fascinating i
0: i have not i'm not familiar with it but now i'll i'll have to check it out
1: i'll have to get the name god the name escapes me right now um it kind of going along with this, there was a member of Hannah's family who kind of wasn't a fan of all this, even more and then even more so, not too huge of a fan of the decision she makes with uh the baby that she's carrying, her husband, Ryan, I believe yes. was his name. Do you get uh do people come up to you and say like was or let me ask you this was Ryan supposed to be like a, a like a enemy like a hated character or is this he kind of just... back
0: to the relationships that changed with the editor that I had mm-hmm. okay so yes when she, when I first wrote Ryan, they did not have a good marriage um they they sniped at each other. They were nasty to each other. I've seen marriages like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was writing that. And, and in the first draft, again, she, she and Natty were sniping at each other. And, and everybody was nasty to everybody else. And, and and to my editor's point, it's, yeah, I don't want to spend any time with that. And and just to take a, a little um, step aside for a second, a little absolutely. tangent as we discussed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> later on, after the book was had been edited and it was in the publishing process um, I read a book um, that was I that I picked up at a at a major book event in New York and um, and it was about some characters in New York and I'm a New Yorker originally and I was just like okay I want to read about these New York characters mm-hmm. and by the end of the book I was just so put off because all these pa- characters were awful people every single one of them they all hated each other uh, and I only finished the book because I felt obligated to finish the book. I wanted to see well maybe there's redemption for somebody and there wasn't. I oh. just I I just hated the characters from beginning to end and then I said thank you to my editor, you know, if I say not not have, you know, not allowing me to do this to my characters. Mm-hmm. So what happened was yeah Ryan Ryan and Hannah, and again, I don't want to give away too many things, but Ryan and Hannah's relationship over time has cooled, which happens to a lot of long-time relationships. Um, and so when he discovers that she's pregnant at, you know, essentially she finds out when she's 54, um, this isn't in his plan. He's he's older than she is. He's huh. eyeing retirement. He just wants to go, sit, stand, you know, stand on the golf course all day and enjoy the time he's got left. Yeah. Um, you know, and now all of a sudden, Hannah has some news, and he's he's not prepared to hear it. And you know, there, and you can sort of understand. You know, you understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, you reach a point in your life. I mean, uh, if if I suddenly found myself raising a child at my age um and to think that i was now responsible for the next 18 to 20 years of this child's life and that takes me you know into my my old age you know yeah. um that would scare me mm-hmm. uh and um it may it would not be my choice that that i would not want to do this mm-hmm. so he, he it, does he come off as a bad guy um a lot of people don't really like Ryan. A lot of readers don't like Ryan um, because of certain things he said and certain certain decisions that he makes. Um, on the other hand, I think that we need to cut him a little slack if, when you find out things about him and where, where his, where he's coming from, where he is in his mind. Um, you have to kind of uh, say, well, okay, you know, this thing, he wasn't expecting this and, and, you know, he's going to react the way he's going to react. We can't expect everybody to be happy Mm. about this very unusual situation. Yeah. Um, and to his point, and it's not too much of a, a a spoiler to give out, you know, she's 55 years old. There's any number of things that can go wrong with this child. Mm -hmm. Um, and in fact, my, uh, OBGYN read the book (laughs) and, um, and she enjoyed it. She gave me a nice review on Amazon. Um, but she also said, that's like, yeah, it's a stretch. <laughs> and I knew it was a stretch. Um, I, did, I actually did consult um, a, 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 um, a leading um, OBGYN at the time. I wanted her to be older, actually. I wanted Hannah oh. to be pushing 60. And the guy just shook his head. He said, uh, no, he said, you know, 54 at the outside. And yeah. even then, without um, intervention, It just doesn't happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. there may be some weird fluke that you'll read, you know, some person in India, you know, claims that they, you know, got pregnant at at 56 or whatever. And, you know, there'll be news stories about that. And I did some research into that, you know, oldest mother and all that. But most of these stories do concern um People who have uh, have had intervention of some kind, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's IVF or you know hormonal treatments, uh, they've they've had some intervention. The quote unquote miracle in this book is that you know after a lifetime of of infertility, Hannah has this child, gets pregnant with this child naturally. You know, without any intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, the, the there it is meant to be an open question in the book. Those questions of faith. Um, mm. You know, she had walked away from her faith. Is is this going to bring her back to her faith? Um, is it a miracle? Is it a is it a fluke of mother nature? Uh, is it you know God's little joke? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a question that the main characters can ask themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that faith, it's funny you mentioned that because I did want to ask you, how important was was that in your life? And did you did you make that a point to have that a portion of the book? You know, Hannah visits her church. She's trying to get advice from her pastor, etc. It's, it's
0: very—it's it, actually kind of—I I don't want to say funny as it's not a ha-ha funny, but mm-hmm. um, I, I'm Jewish— Mm-hmm. And I'm mostly agnostic. Um, I've gone through fluctuations in my own faith. Of, well, I believe, I don't believe, I believe. I'm right now in a period of basic non-belief. Uh, I'm willing to keep an open mind mm-hmm. out here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very important to me. That, that, by the way, again, where the, the story of Hannah, uh, the biblical story of Hannah um, yeah. comes up, that... And and tied in so beautifully. Uh, It was very important to me that Hannah be Catholic. And I had a friend who was Catholic, and she came back to me after she read the initial manuscript and said, well, why does she have to be Catholic? And I said, because that's who she is. You know, you can't really ask an author, like, why does she have to be this or that? It's because I wanted that push and pull. I wanted the push and pull... Um, now in in the in the Jewish religion we you know our our basic belief and I'm not going to get too much too deeply into this that life begins at the first breath, okay I am aware that other religions approach it differently, and that a Catholic person faced with this situation where she might bear a child with severe disabilities or that might threaten her own life might Mm -hmm. need to make a choice Mm -hmm. from my point of view. And again, this is going to be controversial in today's day and age. I believe a woman should be responsible for her own health decisions. There we have it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am entirely pro-choice, not shy about that. Hannah has a lot of push and pull in her life. She has declared herself pro-choice, even though she grew up Catholic she has Ryan, who is Catholic, making one point on one end. Her daughter, Natasha, who is you know pretty much an atheist, making another point on another end. She's got uh, people in her community who expect certain things from her. She has her parents who are still alive expecting certain things from her. And I wanted that push and pull. You know, so she had this faith growing up she had this longtime priest who she was very fond of um you know he he wants her to look at it as you know god's gift can she look at it that way um you know so that that's why this character needed in my view needed to be catholic mm-hmm. um it these discussions these Decisions are being made every day by people of all religions and all non-beliefs. And that's why I, again, believe that it's up to the individual to make the decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is actually a point I make, whether subtly or non-subtly, there's a visit by some people. Um, Hannah has a, has some visitors that oh, show I up. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that is in in some regard that's the voice of the author talking and saying, you know, this is this is what I believe. Um, everybody has their point of view. I just don't believe that the point of view should be pushed upon individuals. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so yes. That, and so. If, and if what's really interesting is that my next book. Uh, is about the Jewish faith and it's also questions of whether these things exist or don't exist uh, I seem to be pushing myself into a genre that um, I had no intention of doing but these are the stories I'm telling so um, yeah. yeah
1: yeah no I, I think that's I think that's really cool um, first political thriller and now into a whole new show <laughs> Well, you know, and again,
0: and the the other thing that I wrote was, you know, Regency Romance, which I can, you know, I can write one of those things. I toss them off pretty quickly because (laughs) I've read a lot of, um, a lot of romance growing up. That was, Mm -hmm. that was my thing from the time I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. I read a lot of that. I wrote a lot of it. Um, Big Jane Austen fan. Um, Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So that, and that period of time... I have done, you know, you you want research. I've done a ton of research into the period of time, the clothing, the food, the um the hierarchy, the social hierarchies which were very very strict back then. Um so that was another whole, you know, the amount of research I've done for my books. I I know a lot about a lot of things. And well, I shouldn't say that. I know a little about a lot of things now. Uh for all the research that I've done for these various different books.
1: Mhm. Yeah, th- That's awesome. In so in your research for for Book of Hannah, how, so it it is possible for women of like that age that Hannah is to get pregnant. Like there have been examples of
0: that? There have been, but what I have been told from the gynecologists that I've spoken to is that they are generally not successful pregnancies. So for her to carry it as far as she did, not to give away as much, you know, of the book, but it's for mm-hmm. her to carry it as far as she did um, is really to say highly unusual. I won't say impossible, but certainly highly unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not here to um, to give anybody false hope. It's not, you know, it's not a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Hannah's wish fulfillment, you know, um, and perhaps for many women uh, as well. Um, but, uh, you know, so is it possible? Yeah, I mean, you'll get, you know, I, I don't want angry gynecologists calling in and saying, no, it's not possible. I mean, you know, I yeah. I, th- I think from what, from the people I have spoken to, it is possible to get pregnant, but the pregnancy is generally not a successful pregnancy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and that's as far as my knowledge goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I rely on experts to tell me <laughs> yeah. otherwise.
1: And it's, so it's, so it would be different for men, like if, uh, because I, I had, I know somebody who had a, he had his daughter at mid-40s. Oh yeah, no, there's, there's,
0: there's 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 a, there's a huge difference for men. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the women, women go through menopause, um you know Mm -hmm. the the eggs stop dropping um (laughs) it's just a thing that happens you know whether it's at 45 or 50 or whatever it just happens um and that's what makes this so unusual because by the time you hit 55 more often than not and again not 100 Mm percent, but more often than not the woman has gone through menopause whereas a man is continuing to produce sperm now the quality of those sperm will probably decline over Mm -hmm. time and again i'm no expert i'm not going to claim i know anything about this but i you know know, I understand that there are things associated with older fathers, you know, uh, problems associated with older sperm. Again, I can't speak to that because I'm not an expert on it. But it's mm-hmm. certainly way, way different for men than it is for women, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, women of a certain age, you know, they start to think, oh, I'm 30 or I'm 35 or I'm 40. I would better have kids now before it's too late. mm mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And again, the um, you know just for a little bio lesson that the eggs that a woman is, you know, uses to to give birth are the same eggs that she was born with. So by mm. the time those, you know, she's having a baby at forty or forty-five, those eggs are, those are really old eggs, which is mm. why you start coming into these these problems. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, as as a woman ages, so you know, again, is it possible? perhaps. Is it, you know, an outside, way outside thing? Yes. And will it be successful? Probably not. And again, I don't want any angry phone calls from gynecologists (laughs) telling me I don't know what I'm talking about, because I'll freely admit I don't. This is just based on whatever um, superficial research that I did, you know, for the book. Um, But I know, you know, it it can happen. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. Have you heard people like, Wherever news, uh, podcasts, et cetera, talk about like the reproductive issues that we face in society today, like in regards to stuff that where I'm going is there's this author, Dr. Swan. She wrote a book on environmental factors in today's world that have been negatively impacting uh, reproduction compared to earlier, you know, years ago in American history, where we didn't have the same environmental factors like plastics. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think she even says, you know, certain foods, GMO foods, etc. The hormones.
0: I mean, I'm not going to speak to GMOs, because pretty much everything that we eat has been modified by farmers over time, unless you're eating like heirloom tomatoes or something, pretty much everything has been modified over time. I mean mm-hmm. the corn we eat today is not oh. the corn it's not maize it's not you know what what the settlers found when when the native Americans you know were growing it it's not the same stuff mm-hmm. right, but uh, certainly hormones in in meat mm-hmm. um you know, uh, and plastics, which are in everything now. And, yeah. they're, you know, they're in our bodies. Yeah. There's really no escaping that. Yeah. Um, I I can't speak to this. Again, this is not my area of expertise. So I will defer to people who have studied it. Um, and But certainly to say, you know, what we have put into the environment has, has changed things. I mean, I understand that young girls are, are going through um, puberty younger uh, due to hormones in the food. Again, oh, wow. I... I don't want to put that out there as a fact without researching it. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've heard. But again, I, I put out the caveat that this is not my field of expertise. And I don't want to claim anything that I haven't uh, researched thoroughly. My sister's a scientist. My brother's a doctor. I'm a writer. <laughs> okay. So I defer whenever there's a questions of science, I'll call my sister. Yeah. Whenever there's a question of health, I'll call my brother. You know, I... I, I don't. I don't make these pronouncements. These are not for me to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For me to talk about issues of reproduction, reproductive freedom, as a uh, a human being, as an American, as a woman, um, uh, I have definite opinions about that, and I will speak about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, as far as the science is concerned, I'll, I'll leave that to you know <laughs> others.
1: Yeah, I. I'm super thankful. I have. I have some friends who are doctors. It, it's it's so cool that I can kind of call them like, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, I was reading this. And uh, to have that resource is great that I can get a, a medical opinion. Oh, it's, well, it, it's, it, it is really
0: <laughs> valuable. But keeping in mind that, you know, the... To and I feel bad because I have I also have a dear friend who's a, who's a doctor who's also an author, and oh, we talk God. mostly about you know our books and our writing, mm-hmm. um, but she has been I've known her for uh, over twenty five years and um, and during that time uh, I have needed her opinion a medical opinion for many many things mm-hmm. and yes it is a wonderful comforting thing to know that there's somebody that you can call in the middle of the night, you know, when you can't get to the doctor or whatever, you know, so, yeah, Yeah, my brother, thank goodness I have him, my sister who, um, you know, you know, during all things pandemic, I was able to talk to her because she's in immunology and, you know, she can cut through the BS and tell me exactly what I need to know. Um, So yeah, I'm real grateful for for my family and the people that I know who um are educated in these things, which is why I don't like to make pronouncements about them. Um I, I leave that to people who who know.
1: Mm-hmm. I another example I have a friend who's a lawyer and oh, they get that <laughs> they get that too. All the questions. Yeah. I've asked him I asked him a couple things uh recently and yeah he's super helpful. Help me out. Um yeah he he's great.
0: And it's nice that they do because you know yeah. that no matter where they go people will ask them questions. Mm. They ask them legal questions, they ask them medical questions and you know I'm sure they get very tired of that. But it's <laughs> it's nice at least if they're close enough friends or they're family that they will respond you know, to you when, you know, in your hour of need and, and boy, do I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, okay, so you're into tech. My yeah. husband is the, you know, chief technology officer of this company. And so oh, wow. when people need their, you know, like, oh my God, I, you know, have got a virus on my computer. What do I do? You know, he's <laughs> the one they call and, you know, and he can take care of that. We all have yep. our areas of expertise, except nobody ever calls a writer for advice. Really? No. Uh, well, writing advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I have to write this cover letter. You know, for this job I want to apply to, can you look at it for me? Yeah, I can look at it for you. It's um oh, yeah. so that kind of thing. Yes, I guess that they people do call writers for advice. So <laughs> there you have it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, just one or two more questions, sure, Alan. Uh, um, the your next book is there? Do you have a date set
0: for I, it? I do not. I I I'm aiming w- once again. All right, uh, you know, in and your listeners, and, and I don't know how much discussion you've had in the past about. Uh, traditional publishing versus self-publishing versus hybrid publishing. Mm. Um, the Book of Hannah was published through what they call a hybrid publisher. Okay, It's not one of the big, it's not Simon & Schuster, it's not Penguin, it's oh, not one of the okay. big imprints, right? Yeah. It is an independent publisher uh, of which there are many, many, and basically what happens is that you give them money. I mean, they accept your, your, your manuscript, and they may reject manuscripts, and that's the difference between self-publishing where you can publish anything you darn well please, and, you know, hybrid pub- hybrid publishing where um, they will accept your or reject your manuscript, uh, you pay uh, in some cases quite a lot of money, um, and what you get for that is um, your cover design, you get an editor, you get proofreading, you get um, the layout, you get the, um, oh, the ISBN number, mm. um, yeah. you get, you know, if you're lucky, you get you know, placed in in, uh, Barnes & Noble or something. I mean, in that regard, Barnes & Noble, you know, when I had my book in Barnes & Noble, it was about, well, you know, can we order a few copies? And, you know, if if they don't sell, can we return them? And sure, when you're with a publisher, you can do things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, Hannah took about from start to finish probably about, a, I guess, two years. It took me nine months to write the book and then another, you know, almost a, a year or so to get it published. Um, so to ask when is my next book coming out is a very difficult situation. So right now, the manuscript is with an editor who may or may not accept it. I, uh, I, I got his name through a contact of mine, um, and he will read the manuscript and then decide whether it is in his wheelhouse and whether he wants to um, edit it. And then from there, there are a couple of different paths. You can try to shop it to an agent. There is no longer going directly to one of the big publishers. That's it. it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You have to shop the manuscript to an agent. And by the way, it's pretty difficult to get... An agent. I mean, I, and perhaps it would be easier, I don't know, maybe, maybe other writers, you know, get their agents pretty quickly. Um, you have to write query letters. Every agent wants a different thing. They want the first two chapters. They want a, a synopsis of two pages. They want a synopsis of five pages. They want, you know, the first five chapters. They want the entire manuscript. Everybody wants something different, and they want a cover letter to go along with that. Okay. The process is long, the, the um, agents want at least um, two months to look at your manuscript, at which time they could say, no thanks, and then you're two months behind, yeah. you know, and of course you could send it to multiple agents at a time. I would like that my next book published by the spring, there are certain um, events that happen, in, book events that happen in the fall, that are prepared for in the spring, and you need to have at least an advanced reader copy by the spring. Now, if I were going through a traditional publisher, the process would be much longer. I wouldn't see that book for, you know, at least another year and a half, two years, whatever. Um, But because I will probably, probably end up um, publishing through another independent publisher or self-publishing, I want to have it available um, by May, of next year to make the deadline for these events.
1: Okay. Nice. Um, Nice. So we'll see. Again, I'm
0: I'm at the stage now. I actually hired a, um, a graphic designer to do the cover. The cover is already prepared, which is the sort of thing had I gone to the publisher, an independent publisher, for example, that was one of the services they provide is to give you a... Uh, a cover. Now, this particular sure. cover design—this was my idea. Okay, uh, I told them what it was, what I wanted. I had my daughter mock up something in Photoshop. I said, "This is what my concept of this book should be," mm-hmm. and they did a nice job mocking it up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For my for my next book, uh, I hired a a a, pub, a a designer who has designed for some very big names. Um, in, in the publishing industry. And I was delighted with what he came up with, So now I have a front cover, I don't have a publisher, I don't have an editor, I don't really have anything yet, but I do wanna have this all put together by the spring. Um, there are a lot of things, I mean, if, you're, if your audience is interested in in publishing, there are all sorts of resources for that. And in fact, my friend, the doctor, uh, who is also an author, mm-hmm. um, has now become her own independent publishing company. Wow! Uh, and it took her a lot of research, um, but she figured out how to do it, how to, you know, you know, get her own company together, how to buy ISBNs, um, how to, mm-hmm. you know, get distribution. You have to get distribution through this company called Ingram if you ever hope to, you know, get this book in front of people. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things going on in the background. Now, my friend. Who has her independent publishing company? I may very well say to her, "Hey, let me be your first client," mm-hmm. and um, and go from there. So you know, stay tuned. I'll let you know in the spring.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, last last question, I guess. Um, what What advice would you have for not and not necessarily just for an author, but anybody like young people, et cetera, like what, any advice for people out there who are trying to figure things out, whether it's trying to write a book or trying to figure out what they want to do with their life?
0: Oh, wow. I mean, that's a, that, that is a lot of responsibility <laughs> you're putting on me. I have, I do have uh, advice for writers, okay? Yeah. And I'd like to yeah. tell, you know, young, young people particularly, read a lot. It is hard to be a good writer if you're not, a big reader, okay, because when you read, and a lot of different genres, and read deeply and read broadly, um, read nonfiction, read fiction, see how people express themselves. I mean, I um, I love the feel of a of a physical book, but I also have a Kindle, and I like yeah. the Kindle. Because when I read a book, I will highlight passages that I say, wow, this, this simile or this metaphor or this way that this, this, this author expressed this, that, I'm going to tuck that in the back of my mind because that's the sort of thing I want to emulate. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be somebody else. You want to be yourself. You want to write like yourself. But see how other good writers write. Um, now, I mean, depending on on what your genre is, I mean, uh, again, I, I wrote this this political thriller, but I am not a political thriller writer, and I'm not a political thriller reader. So if I really wanted that book to succeed, I really should have read a whole bunch of political thrillers and gotten the rhythm
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and learned the language and um, and gotten a better idea of, of what readers expect when they're reading that genre. Um, I know that very well when I, when I write Regency Romance because I was a reader myself, um, and I've written a number of, uh, of things from short stories to full-length works in that genre. I know what people expect. Um, so read, read a lot. Mm-hmm. And as far as young people are concerned, um, if I were, you know, because people my age, and again, I'm 62, which I sometimes can't believe myself, (laughs) um, we tend to, you know, look back on our lives and say, what would I have done differently? And what I would have done differently, when I was in high school, I wanted to go into language. I was taking Spanish and French. I'd taken Spanish since first grade, and I was, you know, I wanted to learn language, and I wanted to go to a college that was going to, I was going to become fluent in all these languages, and my uh, academic advisor, such as she was, said, why are you, um, you know, not, not, not expanding your horizons enough, you know, you're not, you're not using your brain enough, you know, you're a smart kid, um, look at your brother, he's, he's going to medical school, look at your sister, she's a scientist, you should, you know, use your brain for things like that. So I went to college for biology, which is just a huge mistake, because that was my brother, the doctor. That was my sister, the scientist. That wasn't me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so yeah. after a semester and a half of majoring in biology, I called my parents one day. I said, I can't do this anymore. This is not me. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And they were, uh, I give them all the credit in the world. They were super supportive. They said, you know, do what makes you happy. And I um, I became an English major, which, by the way, is one of the most um, useless (laughs) um, majors from the standpoint of, um, you know, getting uh, uh, what people perceive as a uh, great job. Okay, I don't want to denigrate it at all. What it did teach me, though, was... I mean, I read a lot of literature, and then I learned how to write. Um, And I always had been writing. I wrote from the time I was eight years old. I've always been writing something. But I learned learned more about structure and characters and things like that. So there is no waste in the things that you learn. So um, I would say, though, don't let people tell you who you are. I was wrong, and I let that um, the high school advisor. By the way, that was back, you know, in the pre-internet days. We didn't have the internet to do research on, like, what could I do with this, with a degree in this? What yeah. could I, you know, what profession could I have? What options are there for me? We didn't have that. We relied on experts, and I'm using air quotes again, <laughs> because this lady was really, you know, she she pushed me in the wrong direction, and um, and I regret it. Um, I wish I had, per, you know, proceeded the way I wanted to proceed. Um, and what I say, you know, it's, don't let people tell you who you are. You know who you are. Or if you don't know yet, you'll find out, you know. But also, don't be afraid to learn lots of other things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you should have a broad base uh, of all kinds of things. And I'd like to go back once again to my friend the doctor, because she's one of the greatest people I know, she, her undergrad was in philosophy. Very so that's cool. not a traditional undergrad for a medical student. But as a result, it prepared her very well to be an author and to ask big questions. Yeah. So you know, don't let people pigeonhole you. I mean, yes, you, you should be able to support yourself, um, and, and unfortunately, that's the way things are today. You know, it becomes more and more important. But know who you, you know, learn who you are and, and be true to, to um, what your dreams are. And then um, if it doesn't work in one direction, so, okay, I didn't become the songwriter that I thought I was going to be. Um, I had my degree in English. I got out of, out of college, and I said, hey, world, I have a degree in English. And they said, here's your typewriter. You're a secretary now, <laughs> which was not in my plan. Uh, but I was a secretary at an advertising agency, and I went into advertising. Uh, not the path I thought I was going to take, and then it was kind of circuitous, so I became a copywriter. And, you know, uh, so from writing copy um, for, uh, at the time I was working for a major New York ad agency, so I learned a lot about uh, advertising, then I worked for a major uh, newspaper. Mm. So I learned about the newspaper business and I learned, you know, how to promote that. Um, so it's not, it's nothing's ever wasted. You know, you, you, you get a, a lot of good information, but, um, you know, you look back when you get to be my age and you say, you know, am I happy with how I led my life? You know, you, you, you want to earn money. That's great. You know, I, everybody should have enough money to be happy to, to the level they want to be happy. But you, but you should get up every morning. You shouldn't dread doing what you're doing, and that's what happened when I thought I was, you know, I was going to become a veterinarian. That was why I majored in biology, right? Okay, I love animals. I'm going to become a veterinarian. Well, guess what? It's not all James Harriet, and James Harriet was, by the way, very influential. People of my age wanting to become veterinarians. (laughs) He wrote a series of books about being a country vet. He was was all things great and all creatures great and small. All things bright and beautiful very wildly successful, and everybody wanted to become a vet after reading these books. And I'm like, okay. And I worked for a veterinarian over a summer between semesters, and I was miserable. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, it's not all saving animals. It's like the day-to-day dealing with clients, and oh, um, yeah. and getting bitten and that. scratched, and the, and cool. the body, bodily functions of the animals. It's, you know, it's, and, and then, and things happen that You know, make you sad every single day. And uh, I just couldn't deal with it. And um, so that's not who I was. I still love animals. I still have dogs. That's great. But who I am is a person who expresses themselves through language. And it took me a really, really long time to get to the place where I am now. Um, And I'd like to, you know, since we're going to close soon, I'd like to, to mention, you know, the worry that I had starting out rather late in life, you know, publishing. Uh, and this is sort of a a piece of advice for anybody who is, you know, middle-aged and later who thinks that, well, it's too late for me now, um... I went to a major, this major book event in, in New York. It was a Book Expo America, which they no longer have apparently. I, I've read that they've closed it down. But every year, was the publishing companies would you know, put out their, their new stuff and, and, and publishers uh, and um, booksellers and librarians would all go and see what was coming up. Oh, very cool. Um, and I went to a couple of these. And, and at one of them, I met the mystery author, Louise Penny, um, if you're not into mystery, you might not know her name, but she is wildly successful. Uh, she co-wrote a book with Hillary Clinton, um, a, a mystery, um, and she's it, she has probably over a dozen books now. Um, wildly successful, and and she started writing in her either late forties or early fifties, and so okay. um, I was very inspired, and I came up to her during this um, this signing event, and I explained to her I had just written this. Manuscript, which was the political thriller. And I said, but, you know, I'm I worried that I'm starting too late, and, you know, I feel like I'm getting old. And she looked, she looked at me, and, and I will always be grateful for her for the time she spent. And she said, we have so much to offer. And it hit me really hard. And it's like, yes, I have a lifetime of experience. I may not be the, you know, the young, bright new thing, you know, up and coming, but I have a lifetime of experience um, and memories and ideas and um, and and so does everybody else and and you know so uh, for a writer you never it's you're never too old mm-hmm. um, get started write write the things you're comfortable with write the idea that you have in your head um, be open to things that you didn't think you were going to write about um, and just see where it takes you um, Outline or don't outline, you know? Whatever your, your university professor told you you had to do, it's like, okay, that's a great thing if it works for you, but if it doesn't, you know, do what you can. Yeah, um, Get good advice from people who know what they're talking about. Um, don't be so stubborn as to say, well, I know what I'm doing, and I've been doing this for a while. Listen to people when they tell you your characters are unlikable, or in the case of my most recent manuscript, there was some confusion as to... Um, the voice of the narrator, you know listen to people when they tell you that um, and uh do what makes you happy
1: yeah <laughs>
0: it's really what it boils down to you got one life don't blow it yeah. you know do what makes you happy
1: i I think that's a a great way to close us out um Ellen, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. yeah, this was a lot of fun uh, I'm very happy. Uh, we were able to make it happen and uh, really quick for uh, people that would like to purchase the book is the best way to go to amazon or website okay or... well
0: all right there are a few ways to purchase the book um, you can go to my website which is ellengellerman.com it's spelled g e l e r m a n with one l um, although i also have i've also bought ellengellerman with two l's.com oh, because God. i know people will make that mistake <laughs> Um, you can buy it on Amazon, um, you know, that's probably, you know, for better or for worse, the easiest way um, to, to buy it. It is b- available through the publisher, which is warrenpublishing.net. Mm-hmm. Um, I am open for book clubs, by the way, locally or through Zoom. I have done quite a number of book clubs and I I think it's a wonderful way for people to ask the same kind of questions um, that you're asking now um, or to, you know, discuss how the book hit them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something, uh, you know, if you're in the metro Detroit area, uh, I I can show up in person or if you are outside the area, I did a book club in in Florida um, through Zoom. Wow. Um, Yeah. And, And actually, and I did one in New Jersey as well. Uh, through Zoom. So open to that and, um, you know, look forward to uh, to feedback. You know, uh, you have something to say, I'd love to hear it.
1: Awesome. I will, I'll include uh, links to thank your website. You. Um, the Amazon link as well uh, in the description. And, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of Cheatash. Well, thank um, you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you, Ellen. You know, my name is Chris This has been Cheatash, and take care, everybody.